0: wow is this on yep well thank you for for those prayers and for all your encouragement and um for all the prayers and encouragement i have received over the last few weeks as well for, um, as i've started this role I, I honestly feel i feel so humbled to be in it and so grateful to, to everybody who's encouraged me in it and and supported me in it and it is uh it's a real honor to be leading the children young people and the team in, into more of what god has got this year um one of the things I've really loved about um, this role and, and just being a part of the Bay is just hearing some of the stories of the children's and youth work that has gone on over the, for, for many years, um, I think since day one, and um, of, of, of getting to know people who are investing now in the kids as well as people who have invested um, in the past as well. And what I'd like to do is just ask, if, if you're a children's team member or a youth team member now, um, currently, can you stand up? But also, if you've ever done children's or youth work, um, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, however long ago, we've done a children's and youth work at the Bay. Could you stand up as well? We just so we can see um, how many people have invested in the kids. And can we honour these guys and just thank them for that, what they've done? Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's, thank, it's, it's been an absolute um, uh, yeah, pl- pleasure to hear the stories of the past and to get to know the team um, currently as well. And I know um, some of you guys have actually grown up in the church. Again, getting to know you and hearing the stories has been amazing. Um, it's, it's really exciting for me that there is such a, an amazing history here at the Bay and I'm, and I'm so excited about that and I'm excited about what God is doing at the moment with the kids and the young people and I'm excited about what God um, has got in store for, for us as a church and for the, the kids and the teenagers. And I'm going to share some of what God has been sharing with me. Um, it's going to be quite big picture uh, stuff that I'm going to share but first of all I just want to share um, some of my own journey and um, I didn't share this yesterday but I felt God say I needed to share it this morning. And My journey into youth work started um, about 13 years ago. um, I'd been a Christian for about a year and up until that point I hadn't read a Christian book um, ever. And to be honest, I'd never really read a book before. I don't know how I got to university, but (laughs) um, reading was just not something that interested me at all. And I was walking home one day from a lecture, and um, in between the lecture and my house was a charity shop, and I walked into it, and I have no idea why, but I went to the book uh, book section, and I remember seeing a book, um, and it was called Run, Baby, Run by Nikki Cruz, and I picked it up because I knew um, when I was younger my mum was a Christian, and and I knew she'd read it, so I kind of recognised the cover. And so I picked it up, I paid my 50p, and I went home, and that was in the morning. I spent the rest of that day, morning till evening reading that book. I went to sleep and I woke up, and the mo- that morning till the next evening, I read that book. So in one day I read, uh, two days, I read the whole book. And I was gripped by what I read. Um, for those who don't know, um, it's a story about an American pastor, David Wilkinson, who, who was at the time he was pastoring his first church in a small country, um, uh, countryside in Pennsylvania, I think it was. He um, was a young guy, married with a baby on the way. And one, on one of his days off, he was reading the newspaper. And he, read, he was reading the stories about um, some kids in New York who were trapped in a lifestyle of gang violence. Um, and they were kind of involved in, in uh, drugs and, and um, like stabbing each other and shooting each other. It was a lifestyle of gangs. And he saw a photo of some of those kids in, um, that, um, from New York, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him really clearly and said, "I want you to go and minister to those kids and tell them about Me." So it's a completely different state in America, and he he weighed up obviously with his wife and um, the church, and the church and his wife released him um, to go to New York and try and reach those kids. So months at a time, he went to New York, walked the streets, um, praying, asking God to, um, for those kids and opportunities to share the gospel, and then he'd go back to his wife and the church and report and just. To kind of share what he's seen, and then release him again to go and do that. After a while of the, some of these trips, he began to see some of the kids becoming Christians, and they gave up their lifestyle, and he kind of tried to disciple them. But what he began to hear from most of them was, like, they used to say to him, if you want more of us to become Christians, you have to reach this guy called Nicky Cruz. He, Nicky Cruz at that time was one of the most feared gang leaders in New York. He was a, um, as a young kid. He grew up in a family that was abusive. His parents were involved in witchcraft and um, physical abuse and sexual abuse, and, and that's what he experienced. At the age of 16, he ran away from his home to go to New York for, um, to escape what he'd experienced, and he quickly got involved in all the gangs. And because of the abuse and the, the fear and the anger that he'd experienced as a young kid, he, 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 it's like he had no fear, so he didn't have a problem with killing people, he didn't have a problem with messing people up and, and abusing people, and so he quickly um, uh, rose to the top of the ranks in the gang world and became one of the most feared gang leaders in New York at that time. They all said you need to reach him. If you reach him with the gospel and he becomes a Christian, everyone else will become a Christian. That was the kind of stronghold he had over these kids. So David Wilkerson was like, "That's my man. That's what I'm going after." So he, he tried to find out where he was, uh, where he lived, and everything. And he, eventually, he did meet Nikki Cruz, and, and he told them this simple message: "Nikki, Jesus loves you." And um, Nikki threatened to kill him. He did it like spat on him, pushed him away, and everything. Um, and David, and. Um, kind of ran away but it didn't stop David Wilkerson going after him time and time again he went to where Nicky lived and just stood at his doorstep knocking at the door shouting out to him Nicky Jesus loves you and again he just got rejection after rejection after rejection Um, I can't remember how long it took but there was one night where um, David Wilkerson felt God say you need to put on uh, an event in this hall and invite all the gangs to come to it um from an earthy point of view, that's not a good idea when you get all the different gangs in one room. It's going to be messy. But David Wilkinson, being obedient, told all the gang leaders to come to this place. Um, and they did, they, a room full of uh, three, 400 kids, and they all came um, together. And David Wilkinson stood up and he preached the gospel to them. And the first person to come down that day um, to give their life to Jesus was Nicky Cruz. And then as soon as he came down, everybody else came down. All the other kids, they gave their life to Jesus. And from that day on, uh, Nicky Cruz has has preached the gospel to kids all around America and I think um, other countries as well, because he gave his life to reach kids like him, who other people had forgotten about, other people had given up on. And he's seen loads of thousands of kids um, come to know Jesus. I read that story in two days, and at the end of it, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I got off the end of my, um, get off from my bed. I've been sitting in my bed for two days. And I got to the end of it, and I knelt down, and I said, Jesus, I give you my life to do what that man did. I, I saw the power of the gospel to change even the hardest of hearts, and there's nothing else like it. And I saw the importance of investing in children and young people. If God was willing to send a man from another state to go and reach kids in New York it's a sign of what God wants to do with the kids. And I don't know if there was someone closer who just wouldn't do it, I don't understand that. <laughs> but, but David Wilkinson was up for it and I was inspired by his example and his, his courage and his commitment to, um, to Jesus, but to the kids as well. And that, that led me into the, the last 12 years. After that, after living in Plymouth, um, where I a student, I moved to Peckham and for three years I, I worked uh, for a church, investing in kids there and discipling them, both in the church and on the streets. And after that, I moved on um, ten minutes down the road, where I met Rachel, and we um, we ran a youth club on the North Peckham estate, uh, an estate which is known for gang violence, with kids in different gangs, different postcodes, warring against each other. And we ran the youth club, trying to reach those kids. After that, we moved to Indonesia, where I've worked in a primary school, um, and I had a lot of fun trying to teach kids at a primary school how to worship when they didn't speak my language and I didn't speak theirs. Um, But together, God did some amazing things and and, uh, we we had a great time there. And for the last year and a half after Indonesia, I've been working in Gateshead and felling um, on a community project, um, just working with um, young kids and teenagers as well. But now God's called me here and I'm so excited because it is a new season for the Bay and it's a new season for the children's and youth work, but it's also a new season for me. And I feel like I've, off the back of that one prayer I prayed 12 years ago, it launched me into the last 12 years, and what God has been speaking to me about in the last few uh, months is about to launch me into, and the children, the young people, into what he wants next. One of the scriptures that God has given me, and it's a big picture scripture, um, which is, is what I want to share today, and it's what the heart of what I want the children's and youth work to be about, um, is this, if you can turn to your Bibles or it's up on the screen, it's Is Psalm 78, verses 1 to 7. So we're going to read that. He said, "'O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories that we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and about his mighty wonders.' For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation set set this hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. It's a psalm written by Asaph, and I... in some ways, it speaks for itself, but I just want to unpack it a little bit. It's, it's a big-picture vision that ASAP is painting, and it's kind of like... Um You know, if you go to the Cheviots or you go to the Northumberland hills, and it's only when you get to the top and you get high that you can see how far things are. And you see this beautiful, breathtaking vision of of what God's created. And I think this psalm is like that. Asaph is inviting us to go higher so we can see further to what God wants to do in this world. He's he's teaching us one of the ways that God wants to work in this world. And we all know through Jesus' prayer that God's heart is that his kingdom comes in this world as it is in heaven. And it, that happens in multiple ways, but this is just one of the ways he wants to do that. He wants to do it through generations. It's a big picture thing we're going to talk about, and, and he wants to do it through testimony. A lot of these, um, the scripture here is talking about the stories that are handed down from one generation to the next. The stories are testimonies about how God has worked in this world, how he's worked in individuals, how he's worked with communities, and how he's worked in creation. And these testimonies, these stories are so important. If you read um, Revelation 19 verse 10, it says the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So when we we share a testimony about God, it's the same power behind it as prophesying to somebody. So when we prophesy, uh, when we speak a testimony, we're inviting that person to encounter God for themselves, to hear from God and then encounter God themselves. So if I'm speaking to somebody and tell them about how Jesus has healed me, then I'm inviting them to experience Jesus's healing power for themselves. And that's that's amazing but if you think about that on a big picture scale where one generation has a testimony about God doing some incredible things not just on a small scale but on a big scale these power these glorious miracles these mighty wonders that he's done and we we share that testimony with the next generation we're prophesying to them and saying this is what God can do for you this is what he's done for us and this is what he wants to do for you and we're inviting them we're setting them up to have their own encounter with God and that's what he wants to do with us If I'm honest, for the last 12 years my vision has stopped there. It's, it's stopped with me receiving from God and passing it to the next generation. And that's, I think that's good. That's, that's not a problem with that. But God is calling me to go higher and I think he's calling us as a church to go higher. He's saying don't just stop at the next generation. If we read the next verses, he says what your testimony is going to do is not just affect the next generation, but it's going to affect the generation yet to come, one that one that's not even yet born, And they, in turn, are going to be equipped to reach the next generation. That's four generations of people impacted by one generation's faithfulness to pass on their testimony. I want us to be that kind of church that that receives from God and goes after God with everything we've got, but is faithful to pass it on to the next generation. So as I start my my role here and I I get to know some of the kids and I, I start thinking about, God, what are you doing? My vision isn't stopping with these kids. It's stopping with their grandkids now. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that God's calling me to look for those grandkids and say, what, are the, what do you want them to be talking about? In, in, I can't work out the numbers, but in, <laughs> in that many years' time, what do you want their grandkids to be talking about? And what do you want them to be saying about you as a generation? And that's where God is taking us as a church. races I love, oh, I used to love races to be honest, I don't anymore. Uh, not, not fit enough, but when I was a kid, I used to love running. And there are loads of scriptures in the Bible about races. Paul uses the analogy about running and running a race loads. He says, run the, mace, run, run the race marked out for you. Run it with perseverance. You know, he says, train like an athlete. Train yourself in righteousness like an athlete. There's, there's an analogy there about the Christian life being like a race. And For years, I've thought about it as a like a 100-meter race, where I'm at the start of the line and my goal is to get to the end of that line. And, And the start of my Christian life when I became a Christian was a start, and it ends the day I die. And I think there's some truth in that. We're all called to run an individual race. We're all called to have our own relationship with Jesus, and we're all called to be faithful for what um, what he's given us. And we need to be faithful to the end of our days. But more and more as I read these scriptures, I've come to see the Christian life as a relay race. I've come to see that the picture that Asaph is painting is much more like a relay race. And the race started the day that God made a covenant with Abraham and it's going to end the day that Jesus comes back Aww. in this world. That is the race that, that God is calling us to. And every generation that has existed from day one till the end um, to come is just like one runner who has to run one leg of that race. And I think it's a really important and, 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 and a helpful analogy because I do remember... When I was a relay runner, there are three things that are important when you're a relay runner. And The first thing is that you need to, look, um, you need to be ready to receive the baton from the person who's just run. And You need to receive that well, because if you drop it, then you're going to lose time. So you need to receive from the, um, the previous person who's just run. The second thing is that you need to run as fast as you can down that track. And the third thing is you need to be good at passing the baton onto the next person. And I think there's a lesson in that for us as a, as a community at the Bay um, and as a generation. The first thing is that we need to be honoring of what's gone before us. We need to look behind us and receive everything that our um, ancestors have have won in God. And we need to honor it, we need to receive from it, we need to learn from it. Both, we need to receive the good and learn from the mistakes that they made. And that's true for the people who have gone before us and have died now, and as well as the people who are um, older us and still alive. We need to learn from their wisdom, we need to honor the people around us and receive from them. The second thing is, And I think we do this really well here at the Bayou, that we chase after God with everything we've got. We seek first his kingdom above everything else. We pay the cost to see his kingdom come on this world. And we run as fast as we can towards God and everything he's got for us. But the third thing is, we need to be faithful with passing on everything we've received to the next generation. Our, our, Our assignment doesn't stop with just receiving from God now. The, the, the final part of our assignment is to make sure that they, everything we receive in God and everything we learn is passed on to the next generation. And not just passed on, but we have to teach them how to teach the next generation. We don't just pass it on and leave them till. We have to teach them how to teach. And then when they, te- they are able, then able to teach the next generation how to teach as well. And that's, that's, um, that comes with its challenges, but it's the assignment that God has got for us. That's the um, sorry. That's the big picture of where I think God is. What God is saying to us as a church, as a community, and I think it's where um, He wants us to go in this next season. Um, just to help us digest it and, and to to help us understand what that could look like for us as individuals and within this community, I just want to look at three examples of people who did this um, really well. And the first one is Jesus. Um, I couldn't find a photo of him, so I had to use a painting. <laughs> Um, just a little caveat. What I'm about to share about Jesus is, is not my um, something I learned myself. I actually learned it from Shola. He taught me this stuff and I've um, hung on to it dearly. Um, Shola really kindly mentors me. He, um, for the last year, we meet up once a month and we go for a coffee and just. Um, he, he's teaching me about discipleship. He's teaching me about how to do ministry well. And I'm drawing from his wisdom. And the first time we met up for a coffee, he said this to me. He said, Aaron, have you noticed Jesus began his ministry by choosing his successors? And I was floored when I heard that. I'd never seen it before. But Jesus had three years of ministry, and one of the first things he did was choose 12 people who would go after him. I think that's really important, because to me it says that he had a, a vision for his ministry that would outlast his lifetime. That he, the, the thing that he knew that what God started was starting in him was going to last beyond his time on this earth. I think that that's key for us as we think about our own lives, our own ministries, um, our own callings, that we need to be looking out for those who are going to succeed us as well. So that what God starts in us doesn't end with us but carries (coughs) on going. The reason I think Jesus did that is because he knew what the disciples were going to um, carry once he had gone and he wanted to give them the maximum investment possible. He could have waited two years and I think um, his ministry would have perhaps been easier had he waited two years without his disciples and the last year invested in them but the problem is they wouldn't have been ready for what he wanted them to do. He wanted to give them their maximum investment. And so from nearly day one, he chose 12 people and he just he hung out with them. He built a relationship with them, and every good ministry needs to be founded on relationship. He, he hung out with them, he ate with them, he just spent time with them. He taught them. He, he was intentional about um, teaching them what God is like and what his kingdom is like, and he, he, he drew them um, alongside him when he was teaching so they could learn from him um, not just through his words but through his example as well. And the third thing he did, as he discipled them, was to release them into their own mission, into their own assignment. One of the things that um, some people have prayed and, and talked about already is that I do um, worship on the streets. Along with uh, many people here, um, we go out every Tuesday and every uh, Friday, and we go onto the streets, both in North Shields and in Newcastle, to worship. And um, it's been an amazing journey. Um, We've seen God do some incredible things and I'm so grateful for those people who God has brought alongside me and Rachel to carry this this vision. Um, I started doing it because, I don't know if KM's here, I can't see him, but um, most of you will know KM. KM was the first person I saw do worship on the streets a couple of years ago. um, And when I saw KM lead worship in Durham High Street, I felt God say, "Um, Aaron, that's what I'm calling you to. So I was both scared and excited. I was like, really? I've never done that before, God, I don't know. I've don't never seen other, other people do it before. Um, I don't really have a grid for it, I didn't have a framework for it. Um, so I went online, I was like, there must be people who do this, it can't just be KM, the only person in the world. But I went online, Googled, and to be honest, I couldn't find anyone else who does it. Um, so I met up with KM, and I was like, teach me what you've learned over the last three years he's, uh, that he'd been doing at that point, teach me what you've learned, tell me your heart behind it, tell me why this stuff is important. But I couldn't find anyone else to go to. And to be honest, that was quite hard for Rachel and I as I started telling my parents and my family and friends, some who are Christians and some who aren't, that I'm going to spend my time on the streets singing about Jesus. And my, my parents are like, you're busking? And I'm like, no, "Well, we give the money away. We don't, we're not going to take the money. It's not for us. It's, um, we're here to worship. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? Go speak to people? And I said, I don't know. Jesus just told me to go and worship, people. worship him. So... It's been a quite hard journey. We've had to learn a lot. It was, there wasn't much of a grid for reference for us. And I love doing it. I love going on the streets. It's some of my favorite times during the week just to go out and just worship. Take the pressure of, of having to talk to people who are trying to evangelize. Just go and worship and let's see what Jesus does and let's see who brings them to us. And I do it because I do love worshiping Jesus and I do it because I want to see people become Christians. But I also do it because I don't want the next generation to have to pay the cost that um, Rachel and I have had to pay in terms of trying to pe- make sense of something where no one else doesn't really understand. you know, In our history in the, in, the, in the church in the UK, there was a time when it was normal for Christians to go outside and worship. If you just have to look at the Wesley Brothers, the Salvation Army um, denomination, they made it normal to go and worship in parks. They made it normal um, to, to go to pubs and just worship. They made it normal to have worship on the high streets. It wouldn't have been a battle for them just to go and do it. And uh, just think about the effect that that would have had on the culture at that time. And yet nowadays... It's kind of abnormal. The fact that Rachel and I have had to work it out ourselves, the fact that we, um, when I explain to people um, what we're doing, it's like you can kind of see the puzzled look on their faces, and it's quite, quite quite enjoying it now. It used to be quite hard to, to see that, but now we just enjoy the puzzled look. Um, but I want a generation to raise up, uh, be raised up, in the next generation where it's normal for them as well to go out onto the streets, to, to, to find time in their playgrounds at their schools just to go and worship, and it's going to be normal for them. Well, I, want the, I want to see young people out on the high streets or in parks just gathering together for worship. I want to learn from Jesus' example and find my successes now rather than have to wait before, um, to the end. The next person I'm going to talk about is Paul. Paul, most of you will know, um, invested in young people. Timothy and Titus, um, some of the people he wrote letters to, and that's one of the ways he's invested th- with them, uh, in them. He wrote letters to them. He prayed for them. He encouraged them, and he called them out, the gold out of them, and he he put them in positions of leadership. In 2 Timothy, um, verse, chapter two, verse two, it says this: "Timothy, my dear son," and I love that because. It shows that he adopted Timothy as a spiritual son. He said, Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Here we see a glimpse of what Paul was carrying and the vision he had. He had a vision that didn't just go to the next generation in Timothy, but like Asaph in Psalm 78 Paul was calling Timothy to be a part of a generational um, movement where what Paul carried and encountered in God was passed on to Timothy. And then Timothy was called to raise up um, others, other trustworthy people who can carry that stuff as well and go after God with everything they've got. And yet they as well would then find other people to invest in. It's a four-step process, a four-step movement of one person encountering God and it affecting um, others to come. I love that vision. The third person I want to just quickly um, use as an example, and you won't find him in scripture, it's my granddad. This is my um, granddad in a picture in, from his flat in Singapore um, years ago, he's now um, died, he died when I was really young. Um, he was a tailor um, and I, I, I met my granddad quite a few times but I've only got one memory of him, I was too young um, by the time he died. but. My granddad loved his family and was willing to pay a cost um, not just for his children but for, for us as his grandkids, even before we were born. He, um, he was from Pakistan, but he moved to Singapore with my, um, my dad as a, as a baby and my uncle. Um, his wife had died at that, at that time, so the three of them moved to Singapore to have a better life. My dad was then kind of brought up in Singapore, and at the age of kind of 20, around that time, he was um, like most of us do, we kind of ask God, no, no, sorry, not God. Um, he was just trying to work out what he wanted to do in life, um, and he decided he wanted to be an accountant. And in Singapore at that time, there weren't many opportunities to um, be an accountant, so, but he'd heard about in, the Engl- in England. There were lots of opportunities, better training available, and so he raised enough money from family friends to come to England and study. Um, it was during that time um, that he met my mum. My mum's from down south, um, just south of London, and they met, fell in love, got married, and had their first first son, my older brother. Um, After the end of my dad's training, they all moved back to Singapore, and that was the plan, just to to live family life in Singapore. Um, After a few months of being back, my granddad began to notice that the opportunities available for my mum um, as a Westerner, and that um, my older brother as a baby, um, and for us as grandkids that were to come, there would be more opportunities back in the UK um, for us as kids. So he began to encourage my, my dad to take his family back to England um, to have a better life there. At that time, me and my middle brother weren't born, um, but the, my dad, my mum and my older brother moved to um, England. And I love my granddad's vision, that he was willing to pay the cost of not seeing his, um, his son grow up and his, his grandkids grow up on a daily basis so that we as his grandkids would have a better life here in the UK. And So every day that I've lived here, um, every every experience I've had, every opportunity that's come my way because I'm living in England rather than Singapore, I owe to his vision and the fact that he was willing to pay a cost for us even though I wasn't even born yet. I never got to thank my granddad because towards the end of his life, he got hit by a bus and he was left paralyzed and unable to speak. So I have only one memory of him, um, and that memory is him lying in a bed in my uncle's house, Like I say, he couldn't really move, he couldn't really speak. And I I was too young to thank him and to understand the cost that he had paid for us. But every day I live in the um, the benefit of his vision. And I want us to be like that. I want us to have a vision that doesn't just go to the next generation, but to the generations to come and be willing to pay a cost now so that they don't have to, so that they can have a, 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 a better and more richer experience in God than we've had. Just like Jesus said to his disciples, I'm commissioning you to do greater works than I've done, I want to be a people that says to the next generation, the generations to come, go and do the greater works that we never did, but you're able to do. That's what I want us to be like. So that's just three examples we can learn from, and I'm sure you've got your own um, as well that you can think about from your families or other people who have mentored you or or, or trained you that you can be grateful for. What I want to do, just to... um, to finish with is just to ask a question what does this look like in practice so we've done the big picture of asaph we've done a few examples and i just want to bring it bring it home a bit um, before we finish just to say what does this look like for us um, to do that i just want to quickly remind us of jesus's commissioning um, of the disciples and we're at a commissioning service so it'd be weird not to refer to this and let's just quickly read it it says this then the 11 disciples left for galilee going to the mountain where jesus had told them to go When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our assignment as Christians. That is one of the things we're called to. But what I want to draw our attention to this morning is how the disciples responded because Jesus appeared to them as he had a habit of doing towards the end of his life just kind of appearing to them in that moment and it says some of the disciples in that 11 worshipped him and yet some of them doubted him some of them weren't sure and yet Jesus commissioned every single one of them their response didn't determine the commission Jesus commissioned every single one of them whether they worshipped or whether they doubted They were all commissioned to go and make disciples. And I wanted to say this, that I think there's a part for every one of us here in this room to play in commissioning and discipling the next generation to walk in the things that God has got for them and the generations to come as well. I want to say that there is is room and a need for everybody to play a part in this. I think it will look like different things for different people, But that's exciting because we're a body and we get to work with different gifts and different personalities and we get to work out our roles within that and we get to work out as a team drawing from each other's strengths. But there is room and there is a need for everybody to play a part. I want to just flesh out some some ideas about what this looks like in practice. And um, the first thing I want to say is I think parents are primarily responsible for discipling the children. Um, I, I, I say that... Because I think hot, uh, the families are the hotbed of discipleship, that the potential for vulnerability, the potential for um, intimacy, the potential for mess, for mistakes to be made, the potential for hurt, the potential for forgiveness to be learned, how to do that well, all of that stuff, everyday life, all the issues of our heart and relationships, that is the hotbed of discipleship, and it doesn't happen better than in families, and that's what um, I just—that's why I start with parents, because I think they are the God's primary instrument to disciple kids, and I, I say that knowing that there are some people here who, whose kids are Christians and some whose kids aren't Christians, whether they're young or whether they're old, but I, I, I want to say that I think parents can still disciple their children, whether they're Christians or whether they're not Christians, and I say that as someone who became a Christian when I was 21. I, say, I, um, I grew up with a Christian mum and a Muslim dad, they, they decided that um, we weren't allowed to go to a church, we weren't allowed to go to a mosque, we had to find our own way um, with faith. Um, so I became a Christian at 21 when I left home. And one of my biggest struggles was, um, what about those wasted years, God? What about those years when I wasn't a Christian? And he gave me a really clear picture. He said, some people are like a, a small fire where there's branches and there's twigs, and someone comes and lights it. And from um, a small fire, it's lit, and it's, um, but you can make it bigger by adding branches, and you can add twigs to it, and the fire keeps on growing. The more branches, the more wood you put onto the fire, the bigger the fire gets. But there's another way to make a fire, and that is to just pile those wood together, and paper and all that kind of thing, and get the wood ready. And you might see that kind of thing at Bonfires Day, for example, when you go there, in the middle there's usually a big pile of wood ready to be lit. And some people are like those that fire, and that was like one of those where there were things in my life, experiences I had, and I think it was Andy, someone um, prophesied just now that God had been at work in my life from a young age, and as soon as you said, I knew that's what, um, it's true. I remember a dream when I was 10 years old, before I was a Christian, where I was in a room, and uh, I was on one side, and in the middle of the room was a glass plane, like a massive window, and on the other side was some friends, uh, my friends at that time, and I knew that um, there was a separation between us, and I knew that my friends on that side weren't Christians, they didn't know Jesus, and that there, were, there was a potential for them to spend an eternity without him. I woke up from that dream and i spent the rest of the night weeping for my friends who didn't know jesus and the irony of it was that i didn't know jesus myself <laughs> but what was god do i had no idea at the time that was god but years later when i became a christian i looked back and i know god was confirming and shaping my heart to be an evangelist and he was giving me his compassion for the lost in that moment and that was god adding a branch to, to that, that pile of wood that was going to be lit i know i had a mum who prayed for me daily that I'd become a Christian, prayed for my wife that would be, and so Rachel here is an answer to my mum's prayers. And every prayer she prayed, she was adding wood to that fire that was going to be lit years later. And she didn't know when that fire was going to be lit, but I know she believed it would be. So at the age of 21, I was a pile of wood ready to be lit. When the, someone explained the gospel to me, it just happened like that. My life got changed around in an instant. And I want to say that there, as, uh, as parents of, uh, of, of Christian kids, then you get to disciple them in the knowledge that you're discipling them. If they're not Christians, you get to pray for them, you get to disciple them without their knowledge. That that can be fun. Um, so as parents, I think you're primarily responsible. Secondly, you can join the children's and youth team, and I know some of you already are, and I'm really excited and grateful f- to work with you. Um, we get to be people who stand alongside parents um, and support them. You know, there's that story, I think it's Moses, who, who's standing at the top of a hill, and there's a battle going on down below, and he needs two people to hold up his arms, and the battle's only won when those arms stay up. And I can't remember who Aaron and her—I think—is—they—they they have to hold his arms up, and then the battle is won. We get to be those people who hold up the parents' arms and say, "We're standing with you, um, believing for your kids, and want to draw out what God is doing in them." And I'm going to be honest—we need pe- more people. We've got an amazing team already. But this week, um, for the last few days, we're struggling. This week, we've had to rearrange things because we don't have enough people on our team to run the services and the the, um, sessions that we want to. So if this is something that you want to get more involved in, we do need you, and please come and speak to me, and we'll we'll work out together what God is saying and what role you could play in that. The third thing I want to say is that we need spiritual mums and spiritual dads and spiritual older brothers and spiritual older sisters it's really clear to me that there are spiritual parents in this church and there are so many. We are left beyond belief um, and we need people to invest in the younger generation. You don't have to sign up to a rota. You don't have to join a team. Y- you can build relationships. And I want to say, um, if you're a spiritual parent and you've got a heart for, um, for, for people who are younger, younger than yourself and you want to invest in them, can I just say, please ask them? don't be afraid to ask, say, can I invest in you? And if you're someone who's hungry for a spiritual parent or a mentor or anything like that, can I just say, ask somebody? You're free to, they're free to say no, and, and that's not a rejection, that's just maybe just a practical thing. But I, men, Sherlock mentors me because I asked him, and to be honest, I was a bit nervous about asking him. He's, he's got amazing business, he's working so hard, and he's got an um, amazing family. But I knew that he carried something that God wanted to give me, and I, I loved what I saw in him. And I had to ask him, and he was free to say no, but he said yes, and I was so grateful f- for that. Back home in Peckham, when I, um, when Rich and I ran a charity, I went from being a youth worker, looking after kids, having fun with them, like messy youth work, to running a charity, which I'd never done before. I didn't have any training. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? So I knew I needed a mentor at that time, and some of the kids I was discipling, they're pe- they're, one of the dads was, um, ran a charity, so I, I thought he was a perfect person, and I said to him, Tim, I need a mentor. I don't know what I'm going to do." Um, and He was really honest with him. He said, I've got a really busy family life, I'm really busy running a charity, and I can't mentor you, but what I can do is, for the next month, let's find three times where I'm going to go for a coffee with you, and I'm going to um, teach you what I know really quickly, and you can ask any question you like in those three times, but after that, I can't meet up with you, I'm afraid. I'd love to, but it's just not, pos- it's not possible. But it was really practical, and it was so helpful. that He had his boundaries, he, he was free to say no, but yeah, he, he said, yeah, in, the, in this small time, I can do that. And I still draw from what he taught me those three times. I still draw on that today. So people are free to say no, but please, it's a simple thing. Just ask. If you were looking for a mentor, ask somebody. If you think you can invest in somebody, ask somebody. The last thing I want to just say is through prayer. Um, We need people to pray for our kids. We need people to carry the weight of the spiritual um, dynamics of the children's and youth ministry. I believe that every generation is called to fight their own battles. I, I know that the next generation will have battles to fight which we won't have to, but I also believe that we are called to fight battles on their behalf as well. I know that, um, again, I told my mum, she's, she's an intercessor, she's a warrior in prayer, and I know that I've not had to fight some battles because she's fought them for me. But that doesn't mean I don't have my own battles to fight as well. But I need a team of people. I'm looking for people who carry the gift of intercession and who know more about the unseen realm than I do or than our team do. And I need people who, who can understand those kind of dynamics. And I'd love to build a team of people who I can just say, send a quick message. We've got this coming up. We've got this training coming up. We've got this um, issue coming up. Can you pray for us, please? And it might be that we meet regularly. It might just be through text messages. I don't know. But I'd love to find a group of people who can pray for our kids. And again, who can stand with the parents. who can pray for them and invest um, in them that way. You never have to, may never have to speak to a child if you don't want to, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you can carry the burden for them. I'm aware of the time, so I'm going to finish there. That's just some practical ways that we can get involved in. Maybe that you've got other ways, and if you do, then please come and speak to me. I'd love to hear them, and again, together we'll work out what God is saying or what God wants to do. I'm going to yeah finish there. Um, Still happy for me to go with it? Brilliant. Can we stand? And um, it is 12 o'clock, but I'm, I would love if the worship band can come back, if that's okay. Um, thanks, guys. What I'd love to do is this. I want to pray for all of us. because, Like I said, I think all of us are commissioned into this. Um, all of us have a role to play. But there's, there's two things I really want to, offer prayer for and if this speaks to you we're going to have people up here at the front who are going to pray for um, people so feel free to come forward um, the first group of people I want to pray for is if you're a parent here and your your child is either a, a kid or an adult and they're not Christians I really felt like when I was preparing that God wanted um, you to stand with people and so we can stand with you and pray for your kids um, to see them get saved um, and i'm going to I've asked some of the young people uh, uh, georgina dan and um who else is orla as well brilliant if you want to come down now that'd be brilliant um and if if your kids aren't christians and you want to receive some prayer then these guys are here and so they want to stand with you and pray pray with you as well for your kids um, and on this side uh, this is what we did last night i feel like um there are people who just may want to te- take a step forward and say yes lord i want to be a part of this and i don't know what it looks like or maybe i do know what it looks like but i just want to take a step forward a step of faith and say, yes, God, I'm saying yes to you and what you're calling me to. And if that's you, um, you don't have to know what it looks like, But and you want just a bit of prayer, someone to stand with you in that, Then um, there'll be people on this side to my right who are going to pray for you um, for that as well. But I just want to uh, just quickly pray for us now, just to finish. So, yeah, so Jesus, we, we thank you th- um, for what you're doing here at the Bay. We thank you that you are, you're forming a new wineskin in us. You're, you're, you're making changes possible, so that you can do something special in this generation, Lord, amongst us, and we're honored, we're, we feel humbled by it, but we're excited by it, Lord, and we, we want to be ready, we don't want to just receive and then the next generation forget about what you did in this generation, we want to be ready and equipped to pass it on to the next generation, so they're equipped to pass it on to the next generation, so Jesus, just as you prayed and you commissioned those disciples, I pray for a commissioning for all of us, Lord, not just me today, but this is a commissioning for all of us yes. to invest in the next generation, yes. Lord. I pray you would open our eyes yes. to see what it looks like. So, show us, Lord, what Asaph saw in the, in the generations to come, Lord. Give us a vision for that and what's to come. Lord, would you confirm callings in our hearts this morning? Would you set our minds thinking about what, we can, what role we can play? But Lord, commission us and make us ready for what's to come, Jesus.